0: This one for a little bit about relationships. (laughs) Yes, this, yeah, exactly. Excited. (laughs) So, buckle your seatbelts. Barry's just getting here started for this series. We've been talking about an orphan mentality. I worked with orphans in Haiti and Brazil, and the Lord showed me a lot of the characteristics that they functioned in regularly. Were things that we still function in as the church, and the Bible talks that we were, or says that we were orphans, and God has adopted us into His family. But the problem is, as we all remember, that those mentalities don't just go away. Just like when an orphan's adopted, like a natural orphan's adopted in a family, they don't just change because they're now in a home with parents. They still don't trust. They still have. Uh, They have a lot of barriers up because of their life outside, on the streets, having to defend themselves, having to always fight. And we've heard a lot of the stories from Haiti and Brazil, things that the kids went through that clearly show why they have the mindsets, why they act and respond the way that they do. And because we've all been orphans outside of the family of God, we've all created barriers And we don't have trust, and we use manipulation, and we because we have fear, and we want to. We're like grasping to feel valued and attention, and so we're highlighting the the mentalities, and then learning how to address them, and become mature sons and daughters who don't live the same way. And the Bible says our minds are washed by the renewing. Right? We have to renew our minds by the washing of the water of the word the Bible. It washes our minds and shows us a new way of thinking and a new way of doing so that we look different than the world. We should stand out in the way that we respond to situations, in the way that we communicate with one another. So this session is on relationships. And in the orphanage in Haiti, the kids always, each of them wanted to be the closest one to me. And they didn't like it when anyone else was close. So, um, there was this young boy named Pierre Richard. Peter Richard is the name in English. Pierre Richard and cutest little kid ever. Oh my gosh, and he was a little snuggle bug. He wanted to be by my side at all times. And a, every week for a few times every week, we would walk about a mile to a soccer field so that the kids could get all their energy out and play soccer. Well, That was a fiasco, getting all the kids to get ready, get dressed, go out. There's 29 children, right, and craziness. Um, But Pierre Richard, as soon as we would be walking out of the, the orphanage to go, he'd grab my hand. He'd be the first one. And everywhere we walked, I had two kids, you know, always holding my hands. He was always one of them because he had to be there. He had to be right there next to me. Um, so we're walking down this particular day, we're walking down the mountain, I'm holding his hand, I'm holding another kid's hands, and kids are running and screaming, there's a soccer ball, they're getting all their energy out, and I'm just like, wow, this is crazy, Lord help me with these kids, and all of a sudden this soccer ball flies by Pierre Richard's face, and it's too tempting for him, to stay holding my hand. So he lets go, and he starts running after the soccer ball. As soon as he lets go, Betty Love comes, grabs my hand, and I keep walking. I don't even think twice about it. Well, three minutes later, Pierre Richard realizes he's no longer holding my hand. In fact, I don't have a free hand. So he comes running back. He rips Betty Love's hand out of my hand, pushes her to the ground, and grabs my hand and I'm and Betty Love stands up and she's upset and she's saying, "Oh, you can't do that. That's not fair." So I get down to R- Pierre Richard's level and he's angry like, "This is my hand. You can't no one else can hold this hand." Right? And I get down to his level and I take his hand out of my hand and I say, "Pierre Richard, that is not how we act. That's not how we treat people." You left to get the soccer ball betty love is holding my hand now if you want to hold my hand on the way back you can hold my hand on the way back but she's holding my hand and period that's done we don't respond this way now he's so upset i don't like you and so all of a sudden i'm his enemy because that's also what happens I'm his enemy. He, I'm never going to hold your hand again. And I'm thinking, by the time we're walking home, you're going to be wanting to hold my hand. I know how this works. I'm never going to hold your hand again. But he, what's he doing? He's using manipulation to try to make me feel bad. And if I was feeling satisfied and fulfilled by his love, I might be moved by it. I might think, oh, I don't want someone else to become his favorite. I want to be his favorite, so Betty Love, it's okay, like, he was holding my hand before, and let y- I'll hold your hand on the way back, right? I could have done that. I could have caved in to his, his little reaction there, but I didn't because it's not right. He's, he's not going to use manipulation to try to control the, the way that I'm handling the situation. What was it in him? To hold my hand meant he had value. Again, it links right back to number one. I'm next to the person that all the kids want, and I get to be holding her hand. This makes me special. They've been abandoned by their parents, the people that sh- they should that have been loving them most, right? So they have all of these insecurities and rejection. So they're looking for any way to feel accepted, valued. Attention makes us feel valued, right? That's how God designed us. But the fact is he designed us that way in order to fill us with his attention. Psalm 139, we have his attention at all times. He designed us that way, but so many times we're looking for it here, and that's what he was looking for. And it felt like a rejection to him when I said, No, we're not. Betty loves holding my hand. No, I need to be the closest. No, that's not how we do this. And he was angry. He felt rejected. He felt like I didn't love him as much. It also happened so there were 16 boys, no, 16 girls and 12 boys at the orphanage, 28. And then there, when I was there, there was one extra girl. To be honest, I don't even know where she came from, but she was there <laughs> that whole summer and then left. I did not know where she came from or where she went. But I think she was somebody's cousin or something like that. Anyway, so one of me, 29 children, there was not enough time each day for me to have specific one-on-one time with all the kids. Baby, you should sit over here. So I don't have to <laughs> it's like one person over here. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um, No, no, no. But uh, in order to spend time one on one with all those kids every day, it was impossible with all the other responsibilities of the orphanage, et cetera. I just couldn't do it. So I came up with this thought: All right, I'll spend for time with the girls, and then I'll have time with the boys, right? So that they know I'm they're having my attention, et cetera. So for the girls, I would usually sleep over in their room and so we would be able to stay up late and that's when they would get goofy and share some pretty heartfelt, serious things as well once we passed the goofy stage. But I would spend two nights with them and the boys were always upset, right? So I'd be in the room and the boys are trying to, what's going on? And then the next morning, the girls would come out gloating, Oh, we had Wesley sleep over you. Oh, you don't know what we talked about last night. We had some good conversation. And the boys are like, oh, why didn't we get to be there? Why, you never spent time with us? So because I spent time with them, the boys immediately say, um, you're rejecting me. But then I would take time for the boys. And so obviously I can't sleep over the boys' room. So during the day, I would carve out time. I would go in their room. I would look at their pictures. I would hear their music that they're recording, them playing guitar. And then we would, again, start talking about some more serious topics like adoption and, you know, their families and some of the harder things that they go through. But I would spend time with them in their room. The girls were not allowed in the boys' room. The boys were not allowed in the girls' room. So while I'm in the boys' room, the girls are right by the door trying to peek in, trying to listen. What's going on? What are they talking about? And the boys would come out and create a barrier and shut the door. No, it's our time with Wesley. You don't. Ha- you already had your time. And the girls would get even more upset than the boys would. I think the boys are a little more just because they have less emotions right the boys are easier (laughs) they can be I'm not saying always in certain ways they are girls especially at that age teenage years wow emotional I'm emotional now and I'm 32 but teenagers are worse so the girls would treat me like they never knew me and hated me. The, as soon as I finished with the boys, I'd go to try to hang out with some them some. They'd lock their door on me. They wouldn't let me in. They'd be hiding from me, angry. You always spend time with the boys. You never spend time with us. somehow they just forgot that I'd spent two nights with them, sleeping on the floor with cockroaches and ugh, yuck, to spend time with them. But... The minute I'm spending time with the boys, it's forgotten because they always need to have you at all times to fulfill a need. Okay? And when I wasn't spending time with them, it meant rejection. Or when I was spending time with someone else, it meant rejection to the rest. If I pulled aside, sometimes I would go on a walk with two or three people to make it even a smaller, more intimate connection. Well, did that create World War Three or what? When I would go on a walk, you three come with me. What? We want to leave. Why are we going? Why can't you take us? We never get to leave. And that was from everybody all the time. So I- you can see what kind of stress I was under. <laughs> but again, this is the orphan mentality. They're orphans and they want attention. It's It's not that they're doing it with malintent or because they're, you know, trying to be evil. They're literally feeling rejected, insecure, alone, and I'm somebody that means love to them. I'm somebody who means someone cares about us. So do you see they're, they're doing it because it's they're sucking from me, love, care, someone who's there with us and actually asks us how we're doing and what's going on in life. It makes sense that they would be that way. So how does this look in the church? Hmm. This is intense when it comes into the church, meaning not just a church setting or in ministry. I'm talking about relationships within the church community and the church family. How do we act with one another? Do we feel rejected by our friends? Do we look for friendship or relationship to fulfill and satisfy the needs in our hearts? Yikes! So many times we do that. Uh, no, no person is responsible to satisfy you. No person, no human being, is responsible to satisfy you or satisfy your need for social interaction. No one else is responsible for that. You are responsible to go to the Lord to be satisfied first, and to make it a point if you need social interaction to make it happen it's not up to someone else to invite you to go out or to fulfill that place of being need because needed because in the church how it looks is everyone else got invited I didn't get invited I'm rejected I'm alone they don't love me they didn't think of me and the list goes on where in reality maybe they just forgot Maybe they just didn't think of it. Like we talked about that session, thinking the best of people. You want to think the best of the situation. Yeah, they didn't invite me, but maybe they just overlooked it. Maybe they were having a busy day. Maybe they thought someone else was going to invite me, and it just got forgotten through the line. You know, we can think the best of the situation. But we're looking, a lot of times we feel rejected because our fulfillment, our satisfaction in our Uh, Value is coming from the people in our lives. It's coming from the relationships in our lives. So when anything threatens that, I'm threatened. When anything pulls that away, I feel empty, insecure, angry, and I'm going to start to fight for those relationships. So this, when I first moved to Brazil, it was really tough. It was 2012. I thought I spoke a good amount of the language, When I got there, I realized I didn't. (laughs) I had a handful of phrases. I got there, nobody spoke English. My friend Fernanda on the base spoke English, but she was so busy, she was never around. And here I am, people trying to talk to me and speaking a million miles per hour, and I can't understand one word. And I'm thinking, it took by 5 p.m. every day, I was exhausted physically, mentally, from trying to form sentences (laughs) to try to have conversation with people. And everyone in Brazil at that time, this was during a DTS that they were having, a discipleship training school with YWAM, and they all thought I was quiet and shy, right? And anyone who knows me, I am not quiet nor am I shy, right? You know that about me. But because I couldn't speak the language, I looked very quiet because I was quiet quiet it took me so much effort to try to form a sentence and by the time I had formed a response the conversation was 10 minutes past the point of my insert and so I just was like well there's no point in saying it now because that was 10 minutes ago you know it, it just didn't um make sense but what this did to me number one I felt misunderstood Everyone thinks I'm quiet and shy. They don't know my culture. I can't speak the language. I can't express my personality. I had gained so many friends in the US from my personality. I made people like me because, hey, I'm likable. But do you see what I'm saying? That was taken away from me. What did I have? I realized I was really insecure. I felt extremely lonely, misunderstood. I didn't have any real friends. Nobody understood me. I couldn't sit down and share my heart because I didn't have the language. I remember one day I retreated running to my room. I shut the door behind me. I locked it, and I got on my knees, and I cried and cried to the Lord. And I said, God... No one understands me here. I have no friends. I'm so alone. There's no one I can talk to. And I'm sobbing to the Lord. And all of a sudden, I hear him respond back to me. And he says, Wesley, I'm right here. Guess what? I speak English. I understand everything you're saying to me. And I'm listening. It's kind of like what Kayla was sharing earlier. I'm Listening, I hear you. I understand you. And just like Psalm 139 says, he understands our thoughts from afar. He understands us. Even when we feel misunderstood here, he understands us. And this should not make us bitter here, right? Like, oh, God alone understands me. That could be a response. That's not a good response, right? It's like, yeah, I'm understood by God, and if people misunderstand me, it's okay. I've misunderstood people, too, right? We have grace for people where they misunderstand or they don't get what we're feeling. That, be, that was a moment for me where I realized my tears turned to laughter when God said, I speak English. It just hit me in a funny way, and I started laughing a lot, and I was like, you're right, you speak English, and Portuguese in every language. Like, I can speak to you in English. I don't have to worry about this. And uh, this warming came to my heart God's my friend. He's my friend. Like, He's here with me. And He understands me even better than myself, even better than I can understand myself. What a comforting fact that is. Another situation when I had chikungunya, which was that disease that left me crippled. I was at my mom's house. It was about to be Mother's Day, and it was a Sunday, so everyone was at church, and they said, we're going to go out with mom at noon, and all my family was going to go, and so I rested all morning. I did not get out of bed, which was the norm. I didn't really get out of bed much anyway, but I rested, and then by the time 1145, I got up, I tried to get ready, and I got help and went out to the living room and was waiting. So, my family's starting to show up. You all know I have a large family, and for everyone to get there, it takes time. And normally, if I wasn't sick, that'd be an enjoyable time. We'd be chatting, laughing, but I'm sick. I have a limited amount of time before my pain can just spike. So, I'm sitting there, and people are showing up, and I'm starting to feel it. The pain's starting to come, it's starting to increase. I'm now feeling stressed out because I really want to go out with my family, and the stress now makes the pain worse, and all of a sudden, whoop, skyrockets, because that's what would happen. I always was in pain, probably a level seven, six or seven, and then at these moments, it would just skyrocket to a 10, and I couldn't do anything. It skyrockets. I start crying. I look at my sister, Jordan. She reads my gaze. She comes over. She helps me to my room, helps me get changed, lies me down, and I'm sobbing in the room. And different family members are coming in, praying, Wes, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's pray. Nothing happened. They all leave, and I'm left there sobbing alone. I have no friends. There's no one here with me. And I cry to the Lord again. God, I just want a friend. I want a friend who would just sit with me even though I'm sick and just not care, like, and not feel like they had to pray for me constantly or feel like they had to declare healing or dump oil on me. I just want a friend because that happened a lot, too. Good intentioned people that, anyway. The Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, Wesley, I want to be your friend. I'm right here. With you, I want to be with you, and I started crying. And I'm like, But I want to watch a movie. And the Holy Spirit was like, I'll watch a movie with you. And I'm like, Wait a second, isn't that too carnal for the Holy Spirit to want to watch a movie with me? That's a little fleshy, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, choose wisely, the movie, (laughs) the Holy Spirit's watching. And I said, and I literally said that, isn't that too fleshly? Like, you want to watch a movie with me? I think I'm, like, hearing myself right now. This must not be God. And the Holy Spirit said to me, no, Wesley, I love to be with you. Sometimes we'll do what you want to do. Other times we'll do what I want to do. And then as we grow together, what you want to do is going to become more more like what I want to do. And I thought, oh, crying, laughing, and like, oh, this is the best. The Holy Spirit's right here. I can be chill. He already knows me. So let's put on a movie. But how many times can we feel so alone when when there aren't physical people around us or where we're feeling misunderstood or we're feeling like somebody is uh, rejecting us or everybody gets invited, I don't get invited, you're alone. And you could say, I have no friends, nobody likes me, blah, 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 and the list goes on, where we could actually engage in a relationship, a friendship with God that satisfies. And we learn how to have friendship by being a friend of God. He teaches us what it looks like to have healthy friendship here, here, and then we can have healthy friendship here. But it comes from him. We learn from him. When I first joined Street Life Ministries, I was a busybody. I, I remember coming, and there were a few people on staff at the time, all older than me. I was 18. And I remember going to David in the first month or so. I can't remember. And I said, David, I thought I was joining full time ministry. We work like eight hours a day, I have a lot of free time. Like, What am I supposed to do with my free time? And I'm like, can't we do something else? Can't we do some more? And he said to me, you need to learn to rest and be alone with God. That's such a wise answer, you know, because someone who runs a ministry, he probably could have come up with a million things for me to do and put me to work. Oh, you want to work more than eight hours? Fine, I'll put you to work. But he saw something in me that was I needed work to feel valued. He said, no, you need to learn to be at rest and alone with God. And I'm thinking that's the last thing that I want to do because when I'm alone with God, I'm alone with myself. And at that point in my life, I was addicted to ministry. And I found, even at 18, I found my value by helping people. And even in the beginning years of being there, there was a friend of mine who I loved deeply. But she was extremely needy. But her need fed my value. <laughs> so, what did I do? I kept my phone on all night long so that she could call me at any point in time and I would be there. I'm, and uh, in the time, honestly, I felt like I had good intentions, right? I wanted to help her. There are times when we choose to love in that way. I'm not saying that that's wrong. For me, in that time, it was wrong because I was seeking my value from her need for me. So she'd call me two, three, four in the morning. As soon as the phone would ring, I'd pick up out of my sleep. Oh, and she's freaking out and panicking, and I'm like, "I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Let me let me pray with you. Let me be the response that you need. Let me be your help. Let me blah blah." And I. Wanted her to be attached to me so I could feel valued. So then she would say, Wesley always picks up my phone calls. Wesley always helps me. Wesley's always there when I need her. And that made me feel, oh, she's boasting about me. Again, the focus is on me and what I could do for her. That the minute she needed me, trust me, I'm running to her apartment. Let me pray with you. Let me hug you. I remember I went in in the middle of the night. She was married and everything, and she called me down, and I went running to her in the middle of the night, and I sang over her to sleep. Now, it's a special memory. I I don't want to ruin that memory because it was a special time with me and her, but what the Lord has shown me about my intention, my motivation behind that, was something he had to really work through. I wanted to be needed, and I didn't point people to God, I attached them to me. And that's quick burnout right there because we're not meant to be the source for people. In our helping people, we need to learn to teach them to look to God. I need to point them to the source. I have a teaching on abiding in the vine. And it's so, so interesting, John 15, right? We're the branches. He is the vine. And if you look at what a vine is naturally, there's something called suckers on the, bra- on the vine. Suckers are branches that are on the vine but are dead. And they no, longer s- they no longer take from the vine. They take from the other branches and cause other branches to dry up. And they're called suckers. And I thought, whoa, that's like the Bible. Like, I'm letting people suck from me instead of the vine. And that's drying me up and causing burnout because I don't have enough to satisfy another branch's need for life. I need to plug them into the life source because the life source is never ending So instead of plugging them into me, I'm saying, I'm going to teach you to look to him. I've had to look to him myself, and I'm going to teach you to look to him. And sometimes, for me, there was a season, I'm still partially in it, I keep my phone on silent at all times. Because before, I had my phone on all the time because my value was in how many texts I got. And my friendships, how many friends I had, how many people I was helping, what ministry I was involved in. This is me. Take it away. God, just take it away. I will help people, but I do not my, my value attached to anything with people, right? I, that was like the kids in the orphanage, right? I, their value came from being close to me. I don't want my value to come. This is really codependency, right? We have a word for it now. Codependency, so I that with that girl, I depended on her, she depended on me to be there the minute she needed me. She knew she'd call me in the middle of the night I'd pick up, she needed me. I needed her because her need made me feel valued. so she called, I picked up, I could be savior, I could be help, I could be love. And we needed each other in order to keep that thing going. That's codependency. Someone's in great need. I want to feel like I have all the answers. And we feed off of each other. And we never look to the Lord. Nothing's going to change. So some of the the things that you can tell if you're in codependency at all is you're wanting needy people to need you. That's a big one. Um, You don't teach people to go to God because you want them to come to you. That was a big one for me. Um, you answer your phone at any moment 's time, and if it 's an emergency it 's my emergency immediately that 's a big one um, and we do it to look more spiritual. I was doing it to look more spiritual. I wanted to look like hey, people need me. I minister to people all the time, and i 'm cool and I have what it takes, right? Because yeah, it made me feel valued. So we we do it to make it look spiritual, and we say, oh, this is real love, which, again, there might be some, like, there are some areas I knew that I really wanted to love this person. I wanted to see breakthrough for them. There was some of that in me. But the deeper thing there, again, we've got to let God go to the roots of these things because he needs to fully satisfy us. So... um, and then if you're the one on the other side, maybe you're the sucker. Maybe you're not the one saying, I want to be the source, but you're the one saying, I'm the sucker. I'm going to I'm gonna call you at any point in time. If you don't pick up, I hate you. If you don't pick up, you hate me. That's what that means. If you don't pick up, if you don't answer my calls, if you don't be my source, if you're not my source, if you don't give in to that, then I'm cutting you off because you don't love me. Maybe you're that end of the spectrum. And you use manipulation to make that person tri- feel bad for not being your source. That's a sucker. Oh, you weren't there for what I needed, so what kind of Christian are you? What kind of love do you have? Oh, I'm sorry. That's that. We were never meant to be the source. That's not even biblical. So, again, both sides, you have to see. Maybe you're both. Maybe you're a little of both. Maybe you're a sucker at times, and maybe you're the wanting to be the source at times. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to show you where you might be functioning in any place of codependency. So there were some questions that I came up with to help evaluate um, if that's something that you function in. So, number one, do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? It's a people pleaser, right? So I'm not going to bring it up because I don't want an argument. That's not healthy because usually you're just bottling that stuff inside and you're going to explode at some point. So if you're just saying, I'm going to keep the peace, it's because you have fear of that other person being upset with you. I'm dependent on their reaction toward me, so I'm going to just handle what I'm feeling bottle it up, and move forward. It's not healthy. Are you always worried about others' opinions? Maybe uh, one of my things was uh, people aren't going to think I'm doing enough ministry. They're not going to think that I'm loving enough. They're not going to think that I'm open enough, that I'm available enough. That they're there. It's all about what people are thinking about me, not about God, not what he's saying, not what he's thinking. I am functioning here. I'm worried about what you think of me. And you all know I've shared so many times that that has been a process that God brings me through over and over and over again because I constantly struggle with the fear of man. And he works, he's working in that. So, or you uh, feel opinions of others are always more important than your own opinion. That is a sign of codependency. My opinions never important. Now, there's, this is a hard one because the Bible does say in Philippians, think of others as more importantly than yourselves, right? That's a way to, to look like Jesus. But when you think that your opinions are always not as valuable as someone else's, there's a problem there because your opinion's just as valuable as someone else's. You can just decide for a moment to allow their opinion to come and be more valuable, but if it's always like, "Oh, yeah, what you think means more than what I think," that's a problem. You feel rejected when uh, your significant other or a good friend spend times with others. So, if my significant other is just spending time with other people, I feel rejected. They don't love me. They don't need me. They don't. They don't want to be with me. They want to be with their friends, right? So in marriage, I just want to touch on this for a minute, because in marriage, for instance, there are different levels of intimacy in marriage than friendship. So friendship, there are different boundaries, obviously, than in marriage. In marriage, Tommy and I say he has friends that invite him to go out. He's gonna, he comes to me, and he's like, hey, my friends asked me to go out this day, this time. Is that cool? We're in covenant with one another. We, we're working together as a team. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool with me. I'm not expecting him the the difference. So that's okay, right? We're we're working together. He's presenting it to me, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool with me, because he's considering me as his wife, and I would do the same for him. We consider each other. In that, um, the difference would be codependency would be you can't go out without me. I'm coming, right? Y- you want to go out with your friends? Well, I'm going too. Eh, it's not a problem. I'm a girl. Like I can be a girl with guys. I have six brothers. That would be codependency. He can't go out unless I'm with him. I can't go out unless he's with me. We can't do anything separate. Because if we can't do anything separate, we're totally dependent on each other and we feel insecure apart from one another. That's not healthy. He needs to be secure in the Lord. I need to be secure in the Lord. Period. Whether we're together or not. Does that make sense, the difference? Okay. Some of you, I'm not sure, but we'll keep going. Um, We constantly feel inadequate. That's a a sign of codependency. So because I constantly feel inadequate, I'm going to be doing as much as I can to please that person that I want to give me value, right? Constantly doing. Um, You think people in your life will go downhill without your constant efforts. That was me, two hands raised. You think people in your life would go downhill without your constant efforts? That's you or us playing God, right? I was trying to play God. Hey, if I'm not in their life, they're gonna go off the deep end. Oh, I'm sorry, God is uh, above it all, and He loves people more than we could ever, more than we could ever. And people have choices. So if they choose something, it's uh, we got. I took so much false responsibility for people's actions. I thought it was always my fault when someone chose or fell into sin or fell back into addiction or fell back into whatever they were doing, and I was the one helping them. It's my fault. That's how I felt. No, that's not the truth. They made a choice. They made a choice, and they're responsible for their choices, and that's just how it is, right? It's not because of you. It's not because you weren't good enough. It's not because you didn't help them enough. That would be like with Marie and Terry. I'm thinking great friendship, right? Marie helps Terry so much, but if Marie says, it's my fault that Terry's in this situation, that's a problem. It's not Marie's fault, right? Terry is separate, and Marie's just helping her in whatever way she can. It's when we take on a false sense of responsibility for someone else's actions. codependency. We have trouble saying no when asked for help. That was another big one for me. I couldn't say no to anybody. Someone asked me for help, and I was the yes, 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 yes queen. But it wasn't because I just wanted to generously help. It was more because if I said no, I thought they wouldn't like me anymore. Or be mad at me because I didn't help, right? That's the insecurity. I f- I'm going to feel rejected. They're not going to like me. And because I care so much about what others think, I'm always going to say yes to them to try to please everyone. But that never works. Because even if you always say yes, someone still is not pleased at some point. And you're, y- you're just going to be constantly trying to do something. Uh, you have trouble asking for help. So you always want to give help, but you never want to receive help. Hey, I'm fine giving help anywhere, but the minute you want to look at me, no, thank you. I do not want help here. Uh, Another key characteristic is very judgmental. You're constantly judging other people, um, and you always know what's best for others. You give unsolicited advice. That's a codependent characteristic. So you're judging people. You think you always know what's best for them, and then you're giving advice that they never asked for. Hmm. (laughs) I've done that before. Probably two hands raised, maybe too many times to count. Um, Tries to control others. That's a codependent characteristic. Like with this girl that I was with, if she didn't heed my advice, I was trying to – Again, the control sounds like a harsh word, such a harsh word. And I don't think I was intentionally, again, trying to control. But because I was like, I need to control the situation. I need to control. I need to control my life to make it feel safe. I need control. I think we all deal with that at some level because giving up control is hard to trust in the Lord where we give up the control that we have. Um, And then. Crosses boundaries. It's constantly crossing boundaries. And um, so those are some characteristics of codependency. And again, if we are finding our fulfillment in the love of God, then I can have a healthy friendship. Someone calls me, I can't pick up, I can't pick up, right? And I'm not going to feel bad about it. I'm not going to feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not going to feel afraid Fear that they're going to explode or be mad at me because I didn't pick up the phone. You know, those types of thoughts that go through our head. Like, what are they going to do if I can't help them? <laughs> what repercussions am I going to? I know we're laughing because we've all experienced it to some degree, right? We, y- I'm sure we each have scenarios in our mind where you're like, whoa, I'm kind of codependent there. I kind of function out of that fear. I kind of give in to people's manipulation. And the need of the moment has this pressure like, Wesley, if you don't help me right now, or Kayla, if you don't help me right now, I'm going to die. And it's like, you're not going to die. Don't worry. You're going to make it. Right? The we, We've we all been the sucker at one point. We've all been the source, the pretend source. And the fact is we can't. We don't last long as either of those. Because if you're the sucker, everyone around you is going to feel drained from being around you. Have you ever been around a person that you're just like by the end of the time with them, you're like, <sighs> I'm so drained. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> it's because they're sucking you dry. <laughs> and they probably don't know they're doing it, so don't tell them that. Um, Th- that's probably what's happening. But the fact is you're probably allowing them to. So look at yourself. Where are you allowing them to suck you dry? And any area that you've been burnt out where you've gone, I've had enough. I've had enough of people. I've had. Well, it's probably because you've allowed them to suck from you rather than the source, which is God. Now we can help people, and this is, I remember my friend w- Marianna, who I'd shared earlier. She was sharing a story once about she was a drug addict, crazy drug addict, and the Lord encountered her. She hated God. She like you hear a story; it's amazing. But she encountered God, but still dealt with addiction. Right? Addiction just doesn't leave like this. Right? You go through withdrawals, and it's not fun. And she would there was this woman in her hometown giving her um, help. And she said, Wesley, it was so annoying, because sometimes I'd go to that woman, and I'd be like, I'm so frustrated with this, and I just want to go get this drug, and I just want to go do this. And the lady would be like, okay, we're going to just worship. And she's like, that was the last thing I wanted to hear from her. I wanted her to give me some counsel. I wanted her to comfort me. I wanted her to do something. And she said, no, we're going to worship. She pointed me to God constantly saying, okay, you have an issue, I get it, and I'm here with you, but together we're going to go to the Lord, right? So the difference is instead of Barry saying right here, I'm going to come to Wesley, yeah, come to me, and then I'm going to say, Barry, let's go to the Lord together. I'm right with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be a support, but I know one who's the source. I'm not it. So let's point in that direction. Right. So that could be a visual. Robin comes to me for help. There's no problem coming for help. That's a good thing. Robin comes to me for help. And right. We're facing one another. So instead of remaining like this, where I remain her focus, I'm turning with her this way. Linked arms. focused on the Lord. Does that make sense? The way that we help people, we're teaching people to drink from the source, that never ending source. And then uh, we'll only do that if we feel secure in God's love. Because if our values wrapped up in needy people, that's going to be a hard thing for us to do. So you have to ask God, what does he love about you? Get revelation that you have his attention at all times, that you are extremely valuable and have worth to him. And when you encounter that and when you get that yourself, you're going to be able to help point people to God and start to cut the ties that are binding you to people and causing this drainage and this crossing of boundaries and, and um, codependency or emotional dependency, whatever it would look like. And that can happen in marriage. That can happen in friendship. Um, it can happen with any relationship. We can be that way, um, and so we have to ask the Lord. Where? Oh, and this is oh my goodness the most important part. This is really cool thing that I found about friendship in the Bible. So not quite the. We are. No, you're good. So, for some scripture today, the truth, what the word teaches us about this, Proverbs 18.24, first of all, Proverbs 18.24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, right? So, the word ruin here, the man of too many friends comes to ruin, literally means to be broken in pieces, so that makes sense, you have too many friends, you're broken in so many pieces, you come to ruin, um, okay, then I'm, th- I'm going to read the next three scriptures. James 2, 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. Friend. Wow. Second Chronicles 27, 20, verse 7. Did you not, did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give... To the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Again, he calls Abraham his friend. Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. So he's called them his friend three times, three different passages, Old and New Testament. So that word friend in the Old Testament passage, those last three that I read: Chronicles, Proverbs, and Isaiah, that word. In the Hebrew is Ahab. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it. It's probably not. But it's A-H-A-B. And this word has incredible depth of meaning. It appears 250, 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. And it denotes a strong emotional attachment for and as desire to possess or be in the object of love. The presence of the object of love. So an incredible desire to possess strong emotional attachment, right? And it's like, wow, we have some of these in our natural relationship. This is talking about Abraham's friendship with God and to be in the presence of the object of love. It is used biblically in the context of marriage, children, and parents, and one special use is the close ties of friendship. The Greek counterpart is agape. So in Hebrew, it's this word for friendship in the New Testament Greek. It's agape, which is the love of God way more in depth than that. But the important part here is that Jesus instructed us to Ahab, the Old Testament word, Ahab, friend, God, more than anything or anyone else. that was in Deuteronomy six and told us that this was one of the two pillars upon which the entire Old Testament rested. Do you remember when Jesus and this is Matthew 22 verses 33 through 40 and the guy was saying I've kept all the commandments and he said there are two commandments above all others love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, right? You remember that two commandments above all and he said on these two things the whole old testament and the prophets the law and the prophets rests, rests is fulfilled in these two. The word love God is Ahab God. Friend God above all else. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And upon this, all the rest of the law and the prophets is fulfilled. We must love him in the first place. And be loved by him in order to know to have how to have healthy relationships. If we don't, we will simply mimic what the world shows us. Functioning out of brokenness and neediness. We will either become burnt out because we have allowed and welcomed people to need us when we weren't created to supply their need, or we will live in continual rejection and insecurity, looking for that friend or person to fulfill and satisfy our emptiness in a futile attempt to feel valued. There is only one friendship that will truly satisfy, so this question remains, how is your friendship with God? How is your friendship with God, And will you learn how to be a good friend from being friends with him? How is your friendship with God? Now, a key point is that we're m- we're meant for relationships, right? The Bible says do not forsake the fellowship. I'm not telling you to go and just be alone with God by yourself. And that's enough. Because he created the family that we would have the family. But I'm saying he needs to be in the first place. If he's not in the first place, if we're looking to be satisfied in any other relationship. Everything else will be viewed through that. And then we'll complain to God about how burnt out and tired and exhausted and why people aren't changing. And he's saying, well, it's because they're not supposed to look to you to be changed. They're meant to look to me point them to me. So how is your friendship with God and how is that affecting your friendships with people? How is that affecting your marriage? How is that affecting the relationships in your life? And these are real key things that we need to be allowing God to show in us so that we can be healthy and whole. Um, Amen. So think about that this week. Ask God, Father, we just ask you to you've been showing us so much of these different areas, these different mindsets that we have, God, and where they stem from. I pray that this week that you would take it deeper for each one of us, that that we would really have and cultivate that friendship with you where everything flows from that place. God, where you teach us what it means to have healthy friendship and healthy boundaries and, and love, real love, authentic love, God. Um, we just thank you for that today, Jesus, and what you're doing in us as a community. We're so thankful for that, God, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.